Welcome to NucleCast, the official podcast of the ANWA Deterrence Center. Our host is Dr. Adam Lowther, co-founder and vice president for research at the National Institute for Deterrence Studies. The ANWA Deterrence Center is a 501c3 organization ensuring a broader understanding of the nation's strategic nuclear deterrent and its ongoing modernization. Thank you for listening and welcome to the show. The views of the host and the guests are their own. Welcome back to another great episode of NucleCast. Of course, as always, I'm your host, Adam Lowther, and today we have with us what is a... I mean, I'm not sure how best to describe Mark Schneider. He is an institution. He is probably one of the finest Russia analysts in the country. And he has what is a really phenomenal occasional paper. It's not even, it's, it's a misnomer to call it an occasional paper because it's about 300 pages of analysis on Russian nuclear systems and strategy. And I'm sure you've read his work in Real Clear Defense and other places. And he, you know, he does a great job of analyzing Russia. I mean, he's one of the best. Mark, welcome to NucleCast. Well, uh, thank you very much uh, for having me on and for your kind words. So you have a new paper out. It's at the National Institutes of Public Policy website. It's an occasional paper. And it's called, How Many Nuclear Weapons Does Russia Have? The Size and Characteristics of the Russian Nuclear Stockpile. Can you give us a synopsis of what you wrote? All right. Um, this issue, I think, is is very important. We're in a, cri- a severe crisis situation every week or two. Um, the Putin regime you know, puts out another nuclear war threat uh, uh, and uh, I hope uh, he's bluffing, but uh, the, I think the old adage, it's not over until the fat lady sings is, is directly relevant here. We need to maximize our deterrence. And to do that, we've, we've got to understand what the Russians have, what they're developing and where they're going. And that was the, uh, the purpose of, of this uh, publication. Um, it started out I, with the objective of a 60-page report and ended up about 250 pages. Um, it's just that there is so much to talk about. And even with the, you know, 200 plus pages, uh, I still had to, um, uh, to deal with only part of it. Uh, uh, I, I didn't want to get this thing so long that nobody would ever read it. So right now I think it's, it's a fast read. Now, the problem really is, uh, that, um, you know, 40 years ago, uh, we got from the U.S. government a reasonably accurate assessment of, of, of what the Soviet Union was doing. Um, today, that's no longer the case. Uh, since the 1990s, the U.S. government uh, has said very, very little uh, about uh, the Russian nuclear threat. It's interesting uh, that there are congressionally mandated reports uh, for uh, reports on the military uh, capability, including nuclear capability of China, uh, North Korea, and Iran, but there's none for Russia. And that is a really bad idea. Um, so um, we are left with... Um, operating on the basis, of course, open sources, which are uh, uh, never complete, 
but quite frankly, neither neither is all source intelligence. Uh, it's it's increasingly difficult to to find out things about Russian nuclear capabilities. They um, they reveal information uh, uh, because they like to make nuclear threats, and they do it all the time. So that's actually, strangely enough one of the best things we have going for us because uh, they tell us things that they would not or- normally do because they need to, to, to establish the basis of whatever nuclear threat they're making this week. Um, so uh, in open sources, you have a situation where almost, if you do an internet search on the title of my book, you, uh, you, you find uh, that uh, according to the Federation of American Scientists, the Russians have 5,977 or approximately 5,977 uh, nuclear weapons. Uh, suggesting that level of accuracy is, is possible is simply uh, completely misleading. Um, the uncertainty is measured in the thousands, and, and it's mainly on the upside. So um, what uh, I attempted to do was do an analysis of the Federation of American Scientists numbers. Basically, they're the only only thing that exists. Uh, and uh, at the same time, lay out the evidence of uh, substantially larger capabilities. Uh, and there's quite a bit of it. Uh, now, there aren't many analysts that actually do this. Uh, and I talk about uh, them in, in in the book. I make no independent assessment of Russian numbers, but I lay down um, all of, uh, well, not all, but a, a substantial part of what um, is available uh, in open, open sources. And uh, it's really a fairly uh, frightening picture uh, that emerges. Now, the Federation of American scientists uh, is an anti-nuclear deterrence organization. Uh, it, uh, uh, According to one of its publications, it supports what it calls minimal uh, nuclear deterrence. And that includes no ballistic missile submarine force, which is an incredible recommendation, but that's in black and white. Um, the um, they want to reduce um, the U.S. nuclear arsenal to uh, 500 nuclear weapons, uh, and they want to reduce the uh, yield of U.S. nuclear weapons uh, to uh, 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 between three and 10 kilotons, which is ridiculous from a uh, deterrent standpoint in terms of lar- deterring large-scale nuclear war, which is what we're being threatened with typically from from Putin, the Putin regime on, on a, you know, uh, certainly uh, every two or three weeks. And, and uh, uh, the, 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 the scope of the threats are, are, are unprecedented. Uh, matter of fact, the, the last few days, uh, the, the Russians uh, launched a major civil defense exercise, which according to um, a leaked Russian document, internal document, uh, involved a you know, full-scale nuclear war with 70% destruction of housing in large areas of Russia and, and elimination of what they called uh, life support, which apparently translates into minor things like power, water, um, transportation, thing, things like that. And, the, and, and of course, the uh, the Putin regime is creating the illusion you can deal with this through civil defense. Now, civil defense is important, but it it uh, can't make a, a a a nuclear war exactly a pleasant experience. So um, this is what uh, we're doing now. The the 
I can't rule out the possibility that the Federation uh, American Scientists assessment the six thousand weapons is that is that isn't accurate, but it's just as likely, or and probably even more so, that it's twice that number, uh, and that creates a major disparity between U.S. nuclear forces and and those of of uh, Russia. Um, according to Putin, last December, they modernized 91.3% of their nuclear deterrent. We've modernized literally zero since the 1990s. So, so let, me, this is, let me ask you a question. So you said that their the size of their arsenal is probably double the estimate. And when you say that, you know, the fast often accounts for warheads in storage that are, you know, partially disassembled, they they will count those as, you know, nuclear weapons, when in reality, it would take significant time to actually make them operationally deployable. So the, 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 I don't even I'm not, I'm not even really talking about the, the ones in storage. Uh, I don't take them in. in I mean, uh, I the you have, you have, according to the U.S. government, you got three categories of nuclear weapons, active, inactive, uh, and um, those awaiting dismantlement. That's not the categories the FAS uses at all. And th- they have their own internal classification system, and it's really designed to, to in my view anyway, to, to minimize the assessment of, of Russian numbers and, and capabilities. The ones in storage are not dismantled. Uh, they may have, um, and I can't explain this in detail because of uh, classification, they may have one component that's easily inserted, uh, removed as a safety measure, but they are fully intact. Um, the only way you can dismantle nuclear weapons is in a, a, a production uh, facility, which also serves as a dismantlement facility. It's basically the same process, only in reverse. So, uh, you know, we have a very minimal uh, residual uh, production capability, and it's uh, we're in a situation where uh, the um, uh, we can't we can no longer build new types of nuclear weapons. We can barely sustain the uh, existing arsenal. Uh, Russia has a fully functional nuclear weapons production complex and and can produce thousands every year. So you're that, saying that you think the Russians have about twelve thousand deployed nuclear weapons? I I I think it's certainly in the realm of possibility. Uh, I estimate my personal estimate on on their their number of uh, non strategic nuclear weapons, which is the main component right now of what they have, is. Five thousand. Uh, I've explained the, the rationale for that in in in, in the in the book. Um, the on the on the non-strategic um, nuclear uh, weapons capability, they clearly have several thousand, and estimates of it from Russian sources go up to uh, six thousand strategic, and over ten thousand non-strategic. Now. Uh, one of the uh, best Russian journalists, uh, unfortunately, he's no longer writing because it's not safe physically to write in Putin's Russia on these subjects anymore. Um, a couple of years ago, he he wrote uh, that the Russian um, 
nuclear stockpile, although it's never been reliably counted in terms of non-strategic nuclear weapons, could be twice uh, the total from every nuclear um, weapons state, official and unofficial in the world. And I, I think that's quite plausible. The highest estimates of, of their capability go way above uh, a two to one. Uh, but um, I'm not, as I said, I'm I, I'm not pushing any single number. I just want uh, people to understand there's a great deal of uncertainty and there are some really high estimates. And, and the highest ones tend to come from Russian sources. So it sounds like, you know, I, I've sort of been of the opinion that that this view that America has this superior arsenal is no longer true. Oh, there's no question about that. Um, both technically, uh, I mean, from we essentially ended nuclear weapons R and D in in the 1990s. Well, all we do now is fix problems as they emerge. Uh, we're in the process right now of for the first time in the last 30 something years in designing a new nuclear weapon. Uh, It's not really going to be new. Uh, It's something that we could have built 30, 40 years ago, but uh, we didn't. Uh, And while they they haven't released uh, a lot of information on the W93, if I were to guess on this, uh, it would probably be a, a somewhat more robust design than the, the, the systems in, in our current uh, stockpile. And they'll probably put in, uh, I'm certain they'll put in even more advanced safety features than, than the existing stockpile. Uh, the, the, the Russians have probably many dozens and dozens of, of nuclear weapons, uh, the uh, types, the um, uh NATO uh, slide on their non-strategic nuclear weapons is very uh, illustrative illustrative of of what we face. I mean, they list sort of generically all the types of non-strategic nuclear weapons, but a footnote to the chart says two very important things. One being um, that um, the um, Russians have not announced all the types of of nuclear weapons uh, that uh, they have. And, and, um, the other is they may have, well, they, they have several, for every generic type, there's actually several uh, operational designs. And the, other, and the other thing is they may have types of capabilities uh, that um, they have not uh, spoken about. So in effect, the, uh, the chart pretty much reflects open sources and, and what, um, um, there's no real difference between uh, what the limited amount of information the U.S. government has published about this, mainly in the 2018 Nuclear Posture Review, uh, and uh, what you find in, in Russian open sources about the types of non-strategic nuclear weapons uh, that they have. Now, it's that time in the show where we have to take a quick break. But when we come back, I'd like for you to explain to the audience why you think these you know, estimates are consistently underestimating the number of Russian systems. You're listening to Nuclecast. We're talking to Mark Schneider, and we'll be right back. This episode of Nuclecast is brought to you by the Analog Deterrent Center, whose mission is to educate Americans about the nuclear enterprise and strategic deterrence.
And we're back, Mark. Uh, thanks for being here. And so, as I asked before, why do you think we're we have these estimates that are consistently significantly low? Well, the the estimates from the Federation of American Scientists uh, are almost completely undocumented. Uh, uh, you, if you if you read the the publications put out every year, it's published by the Bulletin of the Atomic. Uh, scientists, you won't find any footnotes. Uh, you find some footnotes on 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 their uh, forces chart, but they're not real footnotes in the sense they don't talk about sources. They just make assertions about um, uh, their operational capability without any any documentation. Uh, so that's one of the biggest problems uh, with this. The other problem, of course, is that the global media treats this uh, these numbers of as if they were a fact when at best they're estimates and, and there's very, uh, as I said, there's almost no documentation of that. Now I can tell you where the strategic numbers come from. Um, uh, and I have a chart in, in the book, which lays this out in, in some, in some detail, they are, uh, information contained in the original star treaty, a memorandum of understanding, um, which dealt with the forces, uh, the original version uh, that existed in uh, 1990 and, and the last version in 2009. The problem is that uh, the, the systems that exist today are not those that are in the memorandum with almost maybe one or two uh, exceptions. So um, when you take a look at their numbers, they're basically just taking numbers from the older Russian systems and plugging them into the uh, the new Russian systems when almost all uh, Russian sources uh, report much higher uh, numbers for, for the new systems. And in some cases, uh, you have uh, Russian generals saying what, uh, what these systems can do. And in other cases, you have the manufacturers uh, you certainly have a massive uh, amount of the state media that's, uh, that that um, is reporting uh, warhead numbers per missile. Now, the 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 difference um, um, between w- what you find in in state media um, and what you uh, and what you find in Federation of American Scientists uh, publications uh, is quite considerable. Now, I, I want to make it clear here that the annual FAS um, uh, publication is the product of a lot of research. And in some areas, uh, I have no disagreement with, with their assessments. But the one area, which I think is the most important, uh, where there is uh, no documentation it, it, in the FAS report is on the strategic uh, warhead uh, uh, numbers. Now, if you take a look at their estimates of the yields of Russian strategic nuclear wa- uh, warheads, they're no different than mine. They come from the same places, and which is Russian media. Um, but um, you find that the same articles they're citing tells tell a very different story about the number of nuclear weapons these missiles can carry. As a matter of fact, in some cases, it's even in the same sentence. So they use the yield number, but they don't use the, the warhead per missile number. And that's a, you know, this is the core of, of our disagreement, uh, that they are simply not using available sources to come up with uh, their estimates uh, of what they have. Now, they're uh, on the, the non-strategic, uh, nuclear forces. Um, 
they, you know, they also create the illusion of, of accuracy by telling you uh, that the Russians have uh, 1900, I, I forget, 1944, something like that. Um, and again, th- this is uh, treated as if it is, was ac- exactly accurate. And, and yeah, when the uncertainty there is even much larger than on the strategic forces. Uh, and you got loads of, of reports of um, much larger uh, arsenal numbers. I mean, uh, Pavel Felgengauer, the journalist I mentioned earlier, um, um, had, a couple of years ago wrote that uh, why well, he said that no one had reliably counted a uh, number of Russian non-strategic nuclear weapons, which is certainly true. He said estimates range from 3,000 to 10,000 plus. Uh, that's a big upward uncertainty yeah. margin. And and he's not the only one who says this. I, there are many sources in, 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 in Russia that, uh, uh, that report very, uh, very much higher numbers than the, what you typically see are roughly 2,000. So let, even at 2000, it's 10 to 1. Let, let me ask you a question then. So I wonder, you know, one of the what critics would say is they would say, well, hey, you know, look at the Ukraine wars, an example. All these Russian systems have performed far poorer than we estimated they would perform. So is this just more, you know, Russian disinformatia or is it something? Is it how do we know that what? you know, what you're gathering from Russian sources is actually accurate. Well, um, thank God what you said is accurate. <laughs> they've, they've, they've had a number of problems uh, with the cruise missiles. There is no question about that. As a matter of fact, I have an article on that in uh, Naval Institute Proceedings. Um, the, um, they have both reliability and quality control problems on on their forces. And a a lot of this probably results from the fact that they're trying to do too much with too little. Uh, They they have too many programs and and, uh, uh, their technology is is not as as advanced as ours in in critical aspects relating to uh, uh, missile accuracy. They've demonstrated uh, less accuracy than they claim. As a matter of fact, a few years ago, I wrote an article on Russian conventional um, uh, long-range strike capability, which pointed that out, that a number of of, um, important Russian journalists were reporting accuracy numbers that were much inferior to to what, um, uh, what the Russian officials were were, were claiming. Uh, again, all this is good news, but the bad news is if you substitute uh, an ex- even extremely low-yield nuclear weapon on uh, for the conventional warheads, the military effectiveness of, of these systems uh, more than doubles. And that's like with 20-ton yield, I mean, which is tiny. Um, so uh, the... Uh, the 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 good news is the the reliability and the um, problems with um, quality control. Um, the bad news is uh, that uh, if they substitute uh, or the all these systems are dual capable. Nobody uh, nobody disputes that. Uh, uh, and uh, with the with the with the even low yield nuclear warheads, and they have a variety of of, of nuclear warheads ranging from these extremely low yield 
uh, things up to megaton range things. So um, the the military effectiveness changes drastically when you put even the lowest yield nuclear weapon on, on these things. And the problem is we don't have any of these. Uh, we've reduced our non-strategic nuclear arsenal to one type of gravity bomb, which literally dates from the 1960s. Now we've upgraded it with uh, basically a JADAM type uh, guidance system. Uh, so um, uh, it's uh, it's more effective at, at low yields uh, than the... Uh, uh, the original versions of the 61, but it's hardly a, a state-of-the-art uh, weapon anymore. We have no uh, nuclear um, uh, cr- cruise missiles other than a, a 40-year-old nuclear outcome, which has got reliability problems. We have done a life extension program on it, which may have mitigated, uh, probably has mitigated the, uh, the reliability problems so, to some degree. So let me go back to my my question in in that, how do we know that the numbers that you're using to suggest it's probably twice as high, which are, you know, Russian information, how do we know that that's, whether there's any accuracy there, or is it Russia inflating its own capability for the sake of deterring us? Well, you have to look, uh, this is one of the problems yet you have in in any form of, of threat assessment, and it doesn't really change. You can go up to the highest level of classification, uh, and you still get the same sorts of problems. I have a chapter in in the book on this very subject. It, it deals with the type of sources uh, that are um, available in open sources and. Uh, the, the real bottom line here to sort of summarize as, as, as uh, you know, quickly as possible, uh, there is large uncertainty. Uh, I mean, that's the key finding in the book. But the, the problem is that the uncertainty is almost entirely upward. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it may be you know, 1.5 to 1 or 2 to 1 or 2.5 to 1. Uh, but it's somewhere in that range. Um, and there is almost a hundred percent, um, certainty, uh, look at all the sources, uh, uh, you know, including NATO and, and U S government, everyone says that their number, uh, is increasing. Um, and even, even, um, even to some degree, the, the FAS does that, but, um, the, um, the, the, the implications of that are not being taken into account. Um, now, one of the most interesting developments, this was, this was in, uh, I believe, either uh, 2019 or, or 2020, the director of Defense Intelligence Agency uh, at a uh, seminar uh, held by Hudson Institute said that the Russians had increased their capability of nuclear weapons production to several thousand a year. Now, that is a gigantic number uh, in relation to any of these estimates. It's almost high enough to uh, to support, um, you know, the Soviet, um, uh, you know, a Cold War arsenal. And uh, we we know thanks to uh, uh, statements that were made in the 1990s by the atomic energy minister that the um, Soviet arsenal peaked at 45,000 
uh, nuclear weapons in, in 1986. Now, our assessments at the time weren't anywhere near that. Uh, New York Times says uh, we uh, underestimated uh, them by 12,000. Um, one excellent analysis uh, from uh, the uh, Los Alamos National Laboratory said 17,000, and, and uh, uh, Phil Carver uh, says 20,000. So you have um, a history of very large underestimates of, of, of Russian capability, which is completely understandable because of the degree of secrecy involved. Uh, now, in, in the, after the demise of the Soviet Union, uh, you had openness uh, a great deal in, in the 1990s, but that's been declining under Putin consistently since, um, uh, you know, well, 2000, we became president, and it's getting much worse right now. Um, um, you know, uh, it, it's treason uh, under this new law they passed to do un- unclassified um, uh, analysis in Russia on Russian nuclear capabilities. I mean, that's pretty extreme, but this is what the Putin regime is doing now. I mean, it, it Putin had... Putin, I believe, uh, is clearly um, a fascist. I, I mean, he's not the Hitler type of fascist. He's more like the Mussolini type of fascist. But he is in, he is in that broad category. Uh, and he's dangerous for that reason. He's the only president um, of a nuclear armed state uh, that has his own nuclear strategy. He actually developed it when he was... Um, um, the uh, secretary of the Russian National Security Council. And when they rolled it out in 1999, it was Vladimir Putin who, who, who did the briefing. So uh, the, the attitudes, Putin's attitudes uh, on, on nuclear weapons are pretty extreme. I mean, he's not the most extreme in Russia, but uh, he's bad enough. Uh, and, uh, you know, the whole, the whole idea between his, of his nuclear strategy, uh, Russia is going to escalate with low yield uh, nuclear precision nuclear weapons, and and uh, the the West will capitulate to him um, as a result of that. Uh, that's about the be- the best best case analysis you can have, and it's not really the basis of any sane nuclear strategy. Uh, you got to take into account what these weapons can do and, and uh, uh, you know, the fog of war, for one thing, uh, once you start using them. And, and, and nobody knows for sure what would actually happen uh, if he introduces nuclear weapons. He's probably right uh, that the Biden administration won't do much uh, in response. But if it's a, a NATO situation, uh, that gets really dangerous. And, and in, in one respect, his attack on, on Ukraine is almost the best case of a war scenario that he, that he could have done. It, it's really, um, it's the least risky from the standpoint of nuclear escalation we could have. But uh, one thing I would point out, and, and many people have made this, this point, and I, I completely agree with it. Had he been successful in his splendid little war, you know, the two, three-day victory he went into Ukraine on, he would have attacked uh, the Baltic states already. Um, And if he wins uh, in Ukraine based on just willingness to accept casualties and leading them and gradually attacking their electrical production capability, uh, 
within uh, a year or two, he'll 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 be going after NATO, and it will be the same basic, um, you know, uh, fascist-like strategy, triumph of the will. I think is the best description of what he's pursuing in in Ukraine. Uh, the casualties don't mean anything to him. Um, uh, the way he describes it. And, and I think that's very much uh, the way he thinks. Uh, he um, he really doesn't care much about the Russian people. He cares about power. And and he's a he's an imperialist. Uh, I mean, we during the Cold War, we used to call them imperialists. They used to call us imperialists. But if you read his writings, I don't think anyone uh objectively looking at what he said can conclude anything else that he's a 19th century imperialist and nuclear weapons that exist back then. And if, um, um, if they did Bismarck wouldn't have been Bismarck. (laughs) I mean, the risks are completely different when you throw in nuclear, uh, nuclear weapons into this thing because they can do so much damage so quickly. Yeah. Well, it's that time in the show where I like to bring out my genie, Bob. And if I rub my magic lamp and Bob pops out and he gives you three wishes related to the topic of our discussion, what three wishes wishes would you ask of Bob? Okay. Um, what I, my, my first wish, and this relates to my concern uh, that uh, he will at some point use nuclear weapons in this conflict He's pulled out of the Star Treaty, and I believe there's a significant possibility that he's uploaded his forces. I'd like the U.S. to do the same and do it quickly as possible, uh, and that, because that could prevent World War III. Uh, right now, the Biden administration has done absolutely nothing to enhance our deterrence. Would we not posture. have seen that, though, through no. MNT, that we, you know, overhead MNT? Would we not have seen no. that? All you see... Um, all you see from overhead is activity, and you have to interpret what that activity means. Now, the 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 uh, it hasn't been an inspection in over three and a half years, and the, the Star Treaty has a pathetically inadequate verification re- regime to begin with. But it depends almost entirely on inspections, and we haven't had them. Uh, go back to the two thousand and two U.S. nuclear posture review. It says that we can reload um, in months. Um, uh, excuse me, weeks, months, and years for the three legs of the triad. Uh, he's had years, and even if you you start this um, uh, from uh, uh, the invasion of of Ukraine, and and within a few weeks, it became obvious that this was going to be a long war. Uh, if he started his reload, uh, even in March uh, of um, uh, 2022, uh, he could re- have reloaded a substantial portion of his, his forces. If he started, you know, three years ago, uh, it, it could be 100 uh, percent. Now, uh, all you see with NTM, for example, with silos, you see activity around the silos doesn't tell you whether you're putting more warheads on the missiles or taking warheads off. Now, in um, September 2022, uh, his last data declaration on their new start uh, said they had 1,549 nuclear weapons. The limit's 1,550. So to comply with the treaty, you would have to take down uh, at least a couple of missiles, re- download them further, and, um, 
uh, before you deployed a new one. And they've deployed a lot of new ones since, uh, you know, September 2022. So uh, at most, you're going to see activity um, around um, the missile silos or, or the uh, ballistic missile uh, submarines loading facilities, but won't tell you what they're doing. Now, the other thing is they've got a load of mobile MIRV ICBMs now, which is something um, they didn't have at all during the Soviet period, um, well, at least in, in road mobile systems, they didn't have them at all. Uh, now, every time you've replaced one of, of the uh, single warhead mobiles that they had during the Soviet period with a heavily MIRV system, uh, you... you you got an increase, a uh, significant increase in, in the number of weapons. And and right now you're talking about like something like 200 uh, of these new MIRV missiles out there. Uh, you can upload these things um, inside uh, buildings. Uh, that's inherent in any mobile system. Uh, and uh, th- that means uh, that uh, we have no real idea how many they've got right now. Now, my view is they didn't, violate the New Star Treaty and then, quote-unquote, suspend it, which is, translates into violating it under a nicer name, um, just to uh, avoid the, the costs of, of plane tickets to the United States for their inspectors or um, the, co- you know, the, uh, the slight inconvenience of, of inspecting these strategic force bases. I mean, uh, there aren't enough inspections under New Star drastically reduced from the old Star Treaty, the original Star Treaty, to, to really create a, that much of a problem. And very little of it's related to um, to uh, the war in, in Ukraine. I mean, the strategic bombers, yes, they're, they're launching missile attacks, but uh, you only got a handful of inspections there on, on, uh, on you know, a daily basis. Uh, and so this is not a big deal to them, yet they, uh, you know, they, they took uh, the risk associated with, you know, repute, basically repudiating the uh, the new Star Treaty, and um, that's a, a very significant development. By the way, there's a GAO report uh, that just came out, and it kind of shocked me because it said something that I said ten years ago, uh, which is uh, there are verification problems associated uh, with a new arms control agreement, and I. I have a book. Well, it's not it's called monograph technically, but it's a book length study. It's called um, um, the. the uh, uh, <laughs> think of the name for a second. The uh, uh, it's it's on the the new Star Treaty, uh, and it um, um, it deals with the. Uh, it's got an entire chapter on on the verification problems associated with New Start, and it has another chapter. Uh, on um, the uh, problems of using New Start as as the basis of a follow-on arms control agreement, because they eliminated so much of the original Star Treaty verification regime in New Start. Uh, in the original Star Treaty, we had literally two articles of the treaty which were, were devoted to verification of mobiles. They're gone, completely gone in in uh, the New Start uh, treaty. That's a very, very significant uh, loss. Uh, we haven't monitored mobile ICBM production uh, literally um, since 2009. I mean, that's the entire period of the Putin nuclear buildup. So, so how, many, how, how many missiles have they produced that they haven't told us about? 
We don't know. So if you could ask a second, make a second wish for Bob, what would that be? Would it be related to this topic? Uh, yes. Um, we ought to resume low-yield nuclear testing. The Russians have been doing this consistently for um, uh, over 20 years. And matter of fact, you, you can read about this, believe it or not, in, in the Biden administration compliance reports and, and in the last one of, of the Trump administration. Uh, that's very important. Uh, Low-yield nuclear testing could do enormous good in terms of reliability, and it would reduce the costs of of, of our nuclear weapons uh, programs because we spend an enormous amount of money on things which have only small benefits from reliability because there's nothing else you can do without nuclear testing. By the way, in the last uh, few weeks, uh, there have been multiple reports that the Russians are about to resume high-yield nuclear testing. And I think that that's reasonably likely to be the case. Uh, I don't believe the Biden administration will do any response to it, which will be, again, interpreted in Moscow as extreme weakness. And God knows what the effect it would be on their willingness to use nuclear weapons. Yeah. So you got one final wish. You've laid out a lot of problems. I'm not going to. Yes. (laughs) You've laid out a lot of problems. And now you got one wish. (laughs) This is a really big wish because it's expensive. Uh, we've got to fix the problems in the nuclear weapons production complex, and we don't have a program to do that. We pretend we do, but uh, there are so many areas uh, that we uh, are not really um, uh, doing uh, sufficient things to, to, to really be able to to remotely get back to the sort of things we could do in the 1980s, which is designed develop and uh, produce new nuclear weapons. We can't do that at all today. Um, the uh, One of the big problems is the nuclear fissile material component of the uh, the, the primary or, or, or the fission trigger of thermonuclear weapon. Um, we have no ability right now to produce nuclear pits. Uh, the current program and its uh, latest reports, uh, it's way, way behind schedule. It's for 80 pits a year. Um, Russians can produce thousands, according to open sources. So, um, and and uh, the, uh, the director of DIA said this in, in 2019, I believe. So, uh, at the Hudson Institute talk I, I mentioned. So, uh, the production complex has to be fixed. Uh, we can't live with uh, a broken uh production complex when everybody admits, including the senior levels of the Biden administration, they're increasing, Russia is increasing their nuclear capability. And of course, you got a completely new and massive build, nuclear buildup by China. Uh, you put those two together, we, we have a nuclear deterrent posture uh, that was originally developed when we thought, when we thought now I, I never agreed with that, but we thought officially that there was no real threat from Russia. Uh, and now we know there is. And certainly nobody uh, um, uh, projected anything uh, like the current Chinese nuclear buildup, including myself. I mean, I, I think I, I had a more accurate assessment of China's capability in 2008 than uh, the official assessment, but I didn't, I, I never, I never thought they would go this, this fast. I mean, uh, we now know they've got more ICBMs than we do. Um, 
and they're building, uh, you know, hundreds of silos. And uh, that program is, it, uh, appears to be even increasing with um, the new uh, silos for the liquid, as well as the heavily merged solids. So um, we, uh, we now have the Biden administration admitting they've got several new MERV uh, ICBMs and SLBMs. They've deployed MERV SLBMs. Yeah, we're, we're, we're being fed this nonsense that uh, they, they've added several hundred missiles and, and their nuclear warhead numbers have gone up by 200. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, even if you use their numbers uh, for numbers of warheads uh, per missile, and they're like a third of what... Uh, uh, is reported in open sources, including a number of senior U.S. generals who sort of got off the reservation and confirmed that uh, the DF-41 uh, ICBM is a 10-warhead missile. Yeah. And there are a couple hundred of those silos out there now. Uh, they may not, they're probably not all operational yet. Probably some of them are uh, based on the time when uh, these the stories originally appeared. Uh, but uh, you don't add 200 heavily merved ICBMs or even lightly merved ICBMs and get a 200 warhead increase. Yeah. So the, the the official projections of a thousand warheads by uh, 2030 and and 1500 uh, um, by uh, 2035 are probably going to happen uh, 10 years earlier than that. Five to 10 years certainly earlier than. Uh, is now officially projected. And I, I, I don't believe these projections make any sense in light of what we know the Chinese yeah. are doing. Well, unfortunately, it's that time of the show where we have to end the show. But, uh, Mark, thanks for coming on. You, I can certainly say that for many listeners, they're going to be like, wait a second, this is not what I've been told. Yes. And, and you have absolutely, uh, in many respects, dispelled what is the common, you know, understanding of, of what's going on with the Russians and now here at the very end, what's going on with the Chinese. So thanks for coming on Nuclecast to do that. No, thank you for having me on. Uh, your type of presentations are extremely, interviews are, are extremely important because we don't get this stuff. We get ominous one-liners from, from the uh, U.S. government, but that's all we get. Yeah, well, encourage more listeners because the more the more folks listening, the you know the wider out the the dispersal of this message. So, yeah, thanks for coming on, and thanks to you, the listeners, for joining us on this episode of Nuclecast. This has been a production of the Anwa Deterrence Center, a five hundred one c three that seeks to educate key decision makers, stakeholders, and the public to ensure a broader understanding of the nation's strategic nuclear deterrent. Our executive producer is Kimberly Charrington, and this episode has been engineered and mixed by David Crumpall. Help us grow our followers by sharing it and follow the show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Nuclecast.